Christmas Eve, sir, and... Well, sir, I... I, I mean that if, if you were in New York, sir, you'd have to pay 660 or even 880 to see the... Uh, hear a great singer like Captain Wallace, sir. I'm well aware of Captain Wallace's capabilities. Eight eighty, huh? What a deal! Uh oh. And it says from the Kansas City Chiefs. That is very mean. Ho ho ho! Yeah, that's a uh, ho ho ho. It, it could be. It could be. I hear they're good eating this time of year. So anyway, well, again, we're in the middle of our series, Christmas at the Movies. I don't know how many of those you were able to guess correctly around our house because we have uh, three sisters and, and a wife. Uh, they like that white Christmas movie. It's a favorite of theirs. Uh, but uh, I have to tell you, the pain is real. I mean, I mean, this, this is that movie. Sisters, there were never such devoted sisters. Never had Your favorite have song, yeah, right. I know, sir. And I'm I have three nieces that are sisters, so. Know that not a thing could come between us. Many men have tried to split us up, but no one can. Lord, help the mister who comes between me and my sister. And Lord, help the sister who comes between me and my man. I could see some of you mouthing the words to that song. So you can see, my pain is real. It's a real pain. Have to watch that at least a year, once a year, and I think, I think right now it's on Netflix. Oh, boy. But anyway. So, yeah, so, you know, there are lots of movies, and, and what we've been doing is we've been seeing how there are common themes in Christmas movies and how these common themes, some of these movies, actually can point back to the original Christmas story. Now, you know, movies like White Christmas and those kinds of nice, fluffy, happy movies, you know, are not my favorite Christmas movies. For example, uh, these are the ones that, I, that I, I really like. Sorry, It's a Wonderful Life. It's become a tradition among movie fans as common as eggnog and mistletoe. Every year, more and more people choose Die Hard as their favorite Christmas film. Yeah. 
Wars. Is it really a holiday film? Wherever you fall on the spectrum with this debate, one thing is certain. Die Hard is certainly set during Christmas with plenty of Christmas-related moments. Why stop there? Suddenly, a whole library of cinema classics opens up like the wallet of a post-ghost visit Ebenezer Scrooge. Die Hard is packed with more subversive Christmas cheer than a fistful of mistletoe. Let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. Die Hard 2, Die Harder. Come on, man, it's Christmas. In many ways, Die Hard 2, Die Harder was a retread of the original. Why does this keep happening to us? Switching the setting from a high-rise building to an airport. <laughs> the Lethal Weapon actually hit theaters the year before. Both films kicked off what became long-running and lucrative franchises, staged a shootout in a Christmas tree lot, and ended with Danny Glover's character inviting his crazy partner. <laughs> played by Mel Gibson, to his family Christmas. I think your daughter kind of likes me. Rocky IV. Rocky IV was released over the holidays in 1985, and the Cold War climax, where Rocky faces Drago in the Soviet Union, takes place on Christmas Day. Merry Christmas, kid! Iron Man 3. Shane Black and Robert Downey Jr. certainly love an unconventional Christmas. So it goes on and on and on. So maybe some year we will do Christmas at the movies action movies, but we'll have to wait to see if that happens. Now, again, we're in the middle of our series, and uh, Eric already mentioned, if you want to catch up, part one was a Charlie Brown Christmas, and uh, last week we did Elf, so you can check up on that. If you want to, they're available online, different formats, and also you pick up a CD at guest services. But anyway, so we're in the middle of this series, and some might say, why Christmas movies? Why even do this? But if you went back and took a look and saw how Jesus taught, Jesus would teach with things that were very culturally real in the moment. He would speak the language culturally of those who are listening or those who were hearing him. Uh, Paul would do the same thing. When Paul was in Athens, he, he talked about the, the um, altar, the, the, the monument to the unknown God, and worked that all in. So as we're doing this, it's because it's very, uh, let's say, very uh, biblical, in a sense, to use the culture, to tie it in, and to be able to see what it means to follow God, to align your life with God through what is happening here and tie it all together. So that's, that's why we're doing that. And so if you're new to Seneca Community Church, uh, you know, we're glad that you're here and you may be just checking things out. So we're hoping that uh, you'll find, again, a service like this uh, uh, challenging, relevant, and, and actually a little bit of fun as we walk through this. And for those of us who have known Christ for a long time, or maybe just a little while, oh, hopefully you're finding uh, these takeaways that you can actually integrate. They may not be in a the, um, long theological explanation, but they're hopefully really real so that tomorrow or even this afternoon on your way home, you can start to work them into your life. So this morning, we're going to be looking at the movie Home Alone. And we're going to see, it's, it's, you may say, how can this be? We're going to see how there actually are some themes some threads in the movie Home Alone that can apply to the Christmas story, back to the original story, back to the fact that God is with us. We just sang that song, Emmanuel, God with us, and we'll see how it ties into our lives and how that can be important to us. So if you've never seen Home Alone, here's just a little background on that one. 
Where are you going? We're gonna miss a plane! When the McAllister family left on their Christmas vacation... Did we miss a plane? No, you just made it. Yeah! They forgot one small thing. Have yourself... I've had a terrible feeling. Did you lock up? Yeah. Do we set the timers on the lights? Mm-hmm. What else could we be forgetting? Our troubles will be ours. Kevin! Ah! Home alone. Police in the northern suburbs are on the lookout for a pair of burglars who are calling themselves the Wet Bandits. We know that you're in there. It's Santa Claus and his elf. Get off my property. This is my house. I have to defend it. Where's your mother? My mom's in the car. Where's your father? He's at work. What about your brothers and sisters? I'm an only child. Where do you live? Can't tell you that. Why not? Because you're a stranger. He's a kid. I mean, what can a kid do to us? Kids are stupid. I know I was. You still are, Marv. This is it. Ow! I don't care if I have to get out on your runway and hitchhike. I am going to get home to my son. Take your shoes off. I'm dressed like a chicken. Gus Polinski, Polka King of the Midwest. If you have to get to Chicago, we'll gladly drive you. Hey, guys. Yesterday, he was just a kid. But tonight, he's a home security system. You guys give up? Oh, yeah, thirsty for more. From John Hughes. You know, I got a feeling this is going to be your best Christmas ever. A family comedy without the family. Home alone. Are you here all alone? I'm eight years old. You think I'd be here alone? I don't think so. So it goes really bad. It goes really bad. And if you don't know the story, what happens is Kevin is into trouble. He's in that in-between age, and he's creating all kinds of trouble with his family, his cousins, and, and he gets a little flip or a lot flip with his mom, and she sends him to the attic bedroom. And they've got, I don't know, 15, 20 people trying to get catch an early flight to go to Paris for Christmas. And uh, in all the confusion, he's upstairs sleeping, and they load up the vans, and off they go, and Kevin gets stuck there. And Kevin actually said to his parents, he, or his mom, he wished he didn't have a family. He wished that he was alone. And so the next morning, he wakes up, and he is alone. And he's very excited about being alone. I made my family disappear. He is very excited about being alone. He does all the things you might like to do if you were alone. Jumping on the parents' bed, don't do that. He gets to eat all the junk food he wants. He is just having a great time. And then all of a sudden, it starts to dawn on him that he is alone, that he is by himself. And as the movie unfolds, he gets to the place where he starts to wish that his parents were back. 
He starts to feel lonely. He starts to understand what it's like to be on his own and, and by himself. And when that really starts to settle in on his little heart, he starts to realize that having his family, even though we had a function a certain way, even though we had responsibilities, and even though they might seem to be sometimes on his case, he actually starts to miss his family. And he gets sad. And he realizes that life separated from his family isn't so great. And that really is the theme that we're going to see in the original Christmas story. That the original Christmas story has a one-word description. And it, it's, it's the message, the idea is in lots of Christmas carols we sing and Christmas songs we sing. And it's this idea that it's not good to be alone. That it's not good to be alone spiritually. That it's not good to be alone from God. And that one word, and it's a, it's a long word, and we sing it in some of our songs, but it's this word that we don't necessarily use all the time. It's this word called reconciliation. That you and I, you and I, Christmas, need this idea of reconciliation. And the word reconciliation means this very simply, to be reconciled, is to be restored to friendship or harmony. Reconciliation is that when you and I are restored to friendship or harmony, Kevin desperately needs that. His mom is desperately trying to get back to him because she realizes he needs that. It's not that she necessarily needs that. She can function on her own. But realize that it is not good for Kevin to be alone. And the same lesson is for you and us today. Is that when you think about your life, when I think about my life, yes, we have family and friends and it's not good to be alone. But on a significantly deeper level, it's not good for you and I to be alone or separated from God. And so when we look at the Christmas story, and again, when we started this series week number one, we realized that really the scripture that talks about the birth of Christ is 0 .003 of all the scriptures. It's four chapters out of over a thousand, maybe 1,200 plus chapters of scriptures, only four allude to the birth. And so what do we do with that? What do we do with that? We think of Jesus being born, and we think of a sweet picture like that. We'll see that on a lot of Christmas cards we get. And so we celebrate that, him coming, Emmanuel, God is with us. And it really comes back to that idea of reconciliation. If someone asks you what Christmas is about, it's about reconciliation. Some of us are trying to figure out what that really means. And really, we see that the purpose of Christmas is Easter. It's what's coming. That little baby's born to grow up, to live a life, to live a perfect life, because he's fully God, fully man, and he grows up 
to give his life so that you and I could have a relationship with Christ. Uh, we've already heard this word incarnation. And that word incarnation simply means God becoming a man. And this happened once in the person of Jesus Christ. God became a man. Now, some of you have heard of the idea of Trinity, um, and it's, it's hard to get our minds around one God and three persons. So the idea here is that God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit have always existed in this Trinity. And then nearly 2,000 years ago, God the Son became incarnate became God with skin on, and lived as a human being. And you see, if you look at the Old Testament sacrificial systems, and we'll talk a little bit about that, and you look about all this thing, there is this issue called sin, self-centeredness, you want to call it being uh, not aligned with God, you, whatever you want to call that, but there's this idea of sin that creates a wall between you and I and a holy, perfect God. And the only way to get rid of that wall, to, to bridge ourselves to God, was for God to offer himself, Jesus, as a perfect sacrifice. Sometimes you'll hear the, God, Jesus referred to as the Lamb of God. It's that idea that he would be the perfect sacrifice. So when we think about Christmas, it's all about reconciliation, mankind, people with God, so the purpose of Christmas is Easter. If there was no Easter, Christmas loses its power. It loses its delight. It loses its wonder. Incarnation. And so then the purpose of Easter, as we've already said, is reconciliation. Being made right with God. Harmony with God. To be friends with God. We walk that fine balance, those of us who have entered into relationship with God through Christ, that he is God Almighty, and he's also our friend. And he wants to be our friend. So Christmas points to Easter, Easter points to reconciliation. And why would you and I want to be reconciled to a God? Why would we want to have a relationship with God? Why would we want to be right with him? It's because Jesus actually came to give us, give us life, a full life. I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. He's come so that we can have a relationship with him, a life with him that starts in this moment now when we say yes to him. When we say, God, I want you a part of my life, I admit that I need you, I believe that you came, you gave your life, you rose again. I don't understand how all that works the same way I don't understand how my cell phone works, but I believe it works. You've spoken to my heart, and then when you and I say yes to him, then he offers us full life, and it unfolds a little bit at a time, a little bit. It doesn't mean life becomes perfect, but the real full and delight of that life is in the next chapter of life. So we start understanding that God is with us, God is for us. And we walk through this life, and then someday when our bodies wear out, when we die, 
we continue on into eternity, and we are with God through forever. And so this idea of reconciliation is so important. Some of us who have known Christ for a long time take it for granted. Take it for, we just go, yeah, you know, it's, it's, that's nice. And, and it, it doesn't like blow our minds as much as it used to. And times we need to step back and realize what that really means. Uh, that, that, we, that we have a life with him. Um, there's sometimes that I take Cindy for granted believe it or not, and all of a sudden there are these moments when I realize who I have in a spouse, and it blows my mind. And I want to function more in those moments where I'm captivated and just, just in awe that we're together. And the same thing can happen with us who have been Christ followers for years. The, the awe, the wonder, the wow dissipates a little bit. We need to remind ourselves of that. We need to lean into that because reconciliation, oh, it's, it's, it's the best gift possible to be reconciled, to have harmony, to have God be our friend. In Luke chapter 19, we read, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That was his purpose. Again, Christmas points to Easter. Easter enables and makes reconciliation. So what do we do with this? What do we, what do, we do? What are we, how do we think about reconciliation and Christmas? What, what are, what are, what's going on there? We're going to look at another passage that you wouldn't consider necessarily a Christmas passage, but I'd like you to turn over or open up your Bibles or your, your electronic device. The verses mostly will be on the screen. Look over at Colossians chapter 1 verse 19, and we're going to see what this reconciliation really means. We're going to read through the couple of verses, and then we'll go back and we'll talk about that. So Colossians 1, 19, page 821. If you don't have your own Bible, feel free to take that rack Bible as a gift from Seneca Community Church. We think it's of utmost importance that all of us have regular daily access to God's heart through his word. So please take that if you need one or download um, version. It's a free app and you'll have it with you on your phone or your electronic device. Beginning in verse uh, 19. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. This is referring to Jesus. God's fullness dwelled in him. There can be a great debate about, you know, how can he be fully God and fully man, and, you know, did, did he have access to his divinity and all his, his God uh, characteristics? Uh, a lot of us think that he just kind of put them on the side and he just didn't function through them. That's for a longer conversation. But all his fullness dwelled in him, yet he, in a sense, put skin on and lived as a human being. He knew what it was to be hungry, knew what it was to be tired, experienced all those things firsthand. He knew what it was to stub his toe. He knew all those things. He experienced all those things. He knew what it was like to be betrayed from someone that was close to him. He had all God's fullness, fully God, fully man, but he experienced life as a human being. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. 
Not only we as human beings are broken, and we can see that in our world. We see that in the way uh, our world functions and interacts, people interact with people. We also can see our brokenness in ourselves personally. Sometimes, I don't know about you, but I'm like, where did that come from? Why did I have the initial uh, response to act that way? Why did I naturally want to be selfish in this moment? Why did I not keep my mouth shut? Why did I keep my mouth shut? Why did I, I, why did I think that mean thing and nobody knows except me and God knows? We're, we're, the, we're, we're broken. And even when we come into relationship with God through Christ, uh, the residual effect of that is still there. And we work out our salvation, work out our relationship. We learn how to integrate it into our everyday life and we keep doing that forever and ever ever until we go to be with him and then that's completed but not only are we personally broken but our world is broken Uh, we see hurricanes we see volcanoes blowing up and off the coast of New Zealand we see these things we go you know how can a loving God how can God allow it our world is broken And in that free choice, all the way back in the beginning, when we as human beings broke our relationship with God, it broke everything. That's why there's these allusions or alluding to this day where there'll be a new heavens and a new earth. That's speaking to everything being restarted. And then sometimes we go, why doesn't God do that here and now? Well, he's giving us room to change and to grow. And I don't know about you, but I have friends who have not said yes to Jesus. And if everything was reset today, they would not have said yes to Jesus. So I'm thankful that there's more time. I want more time. And that's all in God's hands. So someday there'll be a new heavens and a new earth. Because again, everything is broken by this thing called sin. And Christ came to reconcile it, restore it. We go on to verse 21. It says, once you were alienated from God. Some versions will say enemies from God or enemies. And you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. That may seem like a little bit of a strong word, but there's this moment where, where we're separated from God and we're actually opposed to him. Even the nicest of us, even the nicest of us, we're, we're, we're marching to the beat of the drum of our own heart not God's heart. We haven't said yes to him. In our lives, even some of uh, the good Old Testament prophets who lived pretty exemplary lives said, you know, my, my good things I do, my good deeds I do are like filthy rags. They, they still aren't good enough because it's just, it's just my sinfulness is just intera- interwoven into my life and, and I, I just can't get away from it. So even when I'm doing my best, it's tainted. There's this taste of it. So when Jesus, when we say yes to Jesus, all of a sudden that alienation disappears. Our actions begin to change. We reflect that our heart is changing, but God accepts us through what Christ has done for us. We read on, by now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. It's important to see his physical body. There are people out there that say Jesus died and then rose spiritually. He didn't rise again physically. And we would say, no, 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 no. He rose physically, completely and now is in heaven at the right side of God. If you continue in your faith 
established and firm. That means you continue to grow, you continue to invest in that. And do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. The word gospel is another word for good news. So hope held out in the good news that we can be right with God and we can spend eternity in relationship with him perfectly. This is the gospel that you've heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven of which I, Paul, have become a servant. And it's interesting, when Paul started out, Paul didn't like Christians. He actually had Christians dragged out to uh, jail. His, his original name, before he said yes to Christ, they, they referred to him as Saul. And he's trying to just put Christianity down, taking people to prison, and all this kind of stuff, even was overseeing people that were killed. And all of a sudden, it changes. He comes into relationship with God, and now he's a servant of God. So as we think about what it means to be reconciled, first we need to understand there is this need, and I've already touched on that a little bit, this need. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, and there's this need, there's this distance, you don't have to be living life with God not with you. God can be with you. God can be a part of your everyday life when you say yes to him. And for those of us who have said yes to him, we can go back in time and we can remember over a period of time there was this, this, this emphasis and we said, wow, I need to be reconciled to God. I need to have a relationship with him. I need this. Life is empty. I have this hole in my heart that... Everything that nothing else can, can fill up. I have more stuff that doesn't fill it up. I have more money that doesn't fill up. I, I got that position. I'm married to this person. I bought this house. I feel pretty good in my abilities. I've got a good job, all these things. And we find that there's a need for reconciliation because all those things, no matter how sweet and nice they are, don't last. They don't fill that hole in our hearts. There is a need for reconciliation. We try to say, I and my abilities and the things I can create are the answer for life. And we find that we aren't the answer of life. Sometimes some of us uh, find that out and we, we self-medicate. We eat too much. We drink too much. We do drugs. We, we fool around too much. We, whatever, whatever we do, we try to, try to fill and medicate that. And the only answer to that hole in our heart is this need for reconciliation. And God wants that to, to, to change. It's a very famous uh, parable, and you may be familiar with it. That's a story that Jesus tells with a moral. And Jesus tells the story of the, um, the prodigal son. And this prodigal son takes all his resources from his inheritance and goes off and says, finally, I'm alone. I can do my own thing. I don't have to live in my parents' house, so I don't have to function by their rules. I can go off and do whatever I want, and I've got the means to do it. And we read in Luke 15, 13, we read that not long after that, the young son got, all, got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. 
He just did whatever he wanted to do. He thought that was the answer. Just having a good time for the sake of having a good time. All of us in this room have been there. Some of us are still there. We, we've, we've, we've decided we're going to take what our life has and we're going to go use it in a certain direction, feeling that that will fill our life and make life happy and make life good. And we go off there and, and sometimes, uh, because of the way our society is and our culture is, it doesn't look like we're squandering, but we are squandering. We're using our time, building stuff that may be nice and everything, but we're building everything in the idea that it is the answer to life, and we squander it. goes on in verse 17 to say, And after he had spent everything, when he was at the end of his rope, when he came to the end of himself, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went out and hired himself to a citizen of that country who set him out to feed to the fields to feed pigs. And for a Jewish person, feeding pigs was, was the worst possible thing. Actually, I'm not Jewish, but feeding pigs doesn't sound like a good thing to me either. So, bad. He was at the end. So he went out. He longed to fill his stomach. It had, it had all boiled down to it wasn't parties, it wasn't having a good time. Now his, la- his need was just to be filled. He was hungry to have his stomach with the pods that the, peds were e- the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. And, you know, we all can be in that place. We can, uh, you know, spend everything we have, and maybe, maybe life doesn't go down. Maybe we're not, the bottom doesn't drop off. We, we kind of maintain life. Life's going all right, and from an outside, it looks good, but there's still that emptiness, and we're spending everything trying to get that void filled, and we're finding that nothing does it. Then we read on. It says, when he came to his senses... He said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. Kevin has everything he wants, all the junk food. He's even able to go to the grocery store and buy more junk food. Yet he comes to his senses somewhere along the line and says, this this ideal life that I thought was so wonderful isn't. He comes to his senses and realizes he needs to be, in a sense, he wouldn't have said it this way, reunited, reconciled to his family, beginning with his mom. His mom is the one he had the most intense thing. And so there he is. What's also interesting about this reconciliation of Christmas pointing to Easter is the desire for reconciliation. It's interesting that, uh, you know, we, we might have this desire for reconciliation, but God also has this desire for reconciliation. Watch this. Tell me, have you ever gone on vacation and left your child home? No. no. But I did leave one at a funeral parlor once. Yeah, it was, uh, it was terrible, too. You know, I was all distraught and everything, you know, the wife and I. And we left the, the little tyke there in the funeral parlor all day. All day. You know, we went back at night when, you know, when we came to our senses. And there he was. Apparently, he was there alone all day with a corpse. 
Now, he was okay, you know, after six, seven weeks. And I came around, started talking again. Uh, but he's okay. You know, they get over it. Kids are resilient like that. Maybe we shouldn't talk about this. Well, you brought it up. I was just, you know, trying well, to cheer I'm you up. I'm sorry I did. It's so wonderful, after all the horrible things Kevin said to his mom, that his mom still wants to go back and be with Kevin. God is the same way with us. God turns the world literally upside down to seek us. It's, it's his desire for reconciliation. He gives his son before we even knew it, before Kevin even came to his senses and realized his family was gone and he was missing them, Kevin's mom is trying to figure out how to get back to Kevin. And she has a crazy journey to get back to see Kevin. But she's on, on the move before Kevin is even aware. The same is true about our Heavenly Father. God has been, was on the move before you and I even became aware. And today, if you haven't said yes to Christ, Christ, God is on the move right now. He's on the move. And I hope in a message like this, you are becoming aware. You're becoming aware. And for those of us who have said yes, that, that we're recaptured with the love of God, and we remember that his desire was to have a relationship with us. And then we've responded to that. In Ephesians, we read, For it is by grace, something we don't deserve, that you've been saved, that you've been restored through faith, saying yes to Christ, trusting him. And this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God. Not by works, not by actions, not by deeds, because the reality is none of us in this room can be good enough to earn God's stamp of approval. Doesn't matter. It doesn't mean we shouldn't try to live a noble, righteous life. But again, my life can't be right enough. I can't do enough to, to tip the imaginary scales. And some of the good reason is that is then you don't have to live with somebody who thinks that, wow, they were so good that they earned their right to have a relationship with God. Just imagine how arrogant some of the people, probably not you, might be in your life if they thought they took care of their spiritual needs themselves. But God takes care of it. You and I can't. And uh, it makes that possible. All through this passage is the thought of the cost of reconciliation. You know, sometimes people will say, well, being right with God, saying yes to Christ, it doesn't, it's a free gift. And in a sense, to you it is. But for God, it cost him everything. It cost him his one and only son. He died a horrible death on the cross. He shed his blood. There's Old Testament verses that say, without the shedding of blood, there is not the remission, the forgiveness of sin. God offers his son. His son willingly takes on the job, the role, the work, and does that for us because he loves us so much that he wanted us with him for eternity. In Romans, we read same kinds of ideas. It says, for while 
For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? And again, he gives his life for us. Said another way, God put the world square with himself, right with himself, through the Messiah. That's a reference to Jesus Christ being the one who Messiah, who's our Messiah. He saves us, giving the world a fresh start by offering the forgiveness of sins. A fresh start. No matter where you're at in your life, you can have a fresh start when you say yes to Christ. Even for the person that's already said yes for Christ, some days I need a fresh start. It doesn't mean that God is not my heavenly father anymore, but it means that I distanced him myself from him by going my own way. And many mornings I wake up and I say, yesterday I blew it. Nobody knew it, but I know it. You know it. I need a fresh start today. Sometimes months go by. Nobody knows it but I need a fresh start. He offers that to us. You see the results of reconciliation? The results of reconciliation are that, that we're right with God. In verse 22, we see, to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. You see, when we say yes, when we accept the gift that son, Christmas was to point to Easter, and Easter points to the reconciliation, you and I, in God's eyes, he sees us as righteous. It's unbelievable. He pays our debt. He pays our debt. So then what do we do with this? We have this, this, this gift, this gift of reconciliation. It's offered to each of us. And again, it's not good to be, in a sense, home alone. It's not good to be in this life alone. And yes, we can fill life with a lot of fun, wonderful things, but it won't be the answer to that hole in our heart. Kevin realizes he writes his family off and realizes, wait a minute, wait a minute, I need my family, I need to be restored to them, reconciled to them, I want them back. In the course of the movie, he meets the mean old neighbor that everybody's scared of. And all of a sudden, they find that some of this mean old neighbor's grumpiness is that, that he had been estranged from his son. And, and he, they're talking at church, which is kind of interesting. They both were at church before they had been reunited with their families, and they're having this conversation and all of a sudden, we have this scene where, again, restoration, reconciliation is on the move.
need to be a little more reconciliation. <laughs> it's not all done yet. I love, by the way, Eugene Peterson renders, translates, paraphrases Colossians 1.23. He says this, you don't walk away from a gift like that. You stay your ground and steady in the bond of trust, constantly tuned into the message, the good news, the gospel, careful not to be distracted or diverted. There is no other message, just this one. So wherever you're at in your life, whether you've said yes to him, then we work hard not to get distracted or diverted from this one message, that you and I can live a life where it's apparent in our heart that God is with us. No matter what we face, the hard times, the good times, we can lean into that truth. And then for the person that's never really said yes to him, maybe you've known about God in your heart, or maybe this is, you've been just uh, coming for a little while or putting the pieces together, and uh, you can say yes to Christ. You don't, you don't walk away from a gift like that. You lean into it. You follow it. And it all begins, again, with say, admitting that you have a need, that you've been out of step with him. We call that sin, that self-centeredness. And then we place our trust, our belief in him that Jesus died, gave his life, rose again, so that you and I could have forgiveness for our sins. And then we choose to invite him into our lives as the one we're going to follow. It doesn't mean our life is, is perfect, but it means we try to live a life of loving God and loving others. After the service, there'll be uh, Danny and Michelle will be available for prayer. We'd like to talk with someone. But also, if you'd like to stop by guest services, they have this little knowing God personally can walk you through that. It's also online on the website. You can see it's got 20 little pages. You can look at that. Uh, you can find that in three locations in the building. Uh, you can see those, or anyone can and send you that way. There's also a little booklet that refers to uh, how good is good enough, how to know God, and you might want to pick that up. It's less than 70 pages. You probably can read in less than an hour. Because as we move into this Christmas season, we need to remember that the one word that can explain is this, is reconciliation. Christmas's one word explanation can only be reconciliation. And none of us have to leave this place not reconciled to a God who loves us and a God who wants to be with us. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we... Thank you for the gift of your son. And I would just ask that if there's anyone here that has been, in a sense, walking away from your gift, that in this moment they would lean back towards you, that they would walk towards you, that they would grasp your already extended hand and say yes to you. And for those of us who have said yes to you, we ask that you would help us not to be distracted, not to be diverted that we can live a daily life that really celebrates and realizes that God is with us because of the gift of your Son. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.